0: Last Sunday of 2019, and as such, we're going to take one last chronological look at the book of Romans this week. We're ending up here in the sixth chapter, verse 15. Next week, we actually find ourselves Roman into January instead of Romans, and you know what that means? The You Pick series, which is something that we've been blessed to continue every year, uh, at least uh, during my ministry. This is the sermon series, of course, where you get to pick a verse, you get to pick a topic or a Bible question, text or email, leave a note with me, uh, say something to me when you leave, and I'm going to prayerfully go through those submissions and spend the month answering them. It's kind of an exciting, uh, I always know some, I'm going to get some curveballs from some folks, and uh And I look forward to that. So uh, get those to me. Is there something that's always puzzled you about the Bible? Something maybe going on, current events that you wonder what God has to say on the subject. Um, Now's your chance to send those questions in, those ideas for sermons. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. So I will spend some time in prayer about those. I believe that's all the advertising for this morning. but if you want to get your Bibles out, open them to Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Just a couple of prayer requests for you moving forward. Be sure to continue uh, your prayers for, of course, Gerald, Gerald Hall, as well as Cheryl Troop, who has uh, returned home from Grand Rapids Hospital. Uh, need your prayer for strength. Keep those folks in your prayers. Uh, before we jump into our time in the Word today, uh, would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I thank you for your spirit, uh, which guides us into understanding. Lord, I pray today as, as we do open uh, our Bibles and, and have to hear what you have to say, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that uh, the words that would come out of my mouth would be yours. I pray, Lord, that uh, we will be uh, people that have been brought together today in spirit and in truth. And that both those things would continue to guide us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that any biases I might have would be uh, put to the side. I pray, Lord, that you would clear our minds from distractions of anything going on uh, in the outside world. And just focus on you and what your word has to say to us today. Lord, I thank you for for each person that's here this morning. Uh, We've taken uh, the time aside to come together to not give up meeting together as your word says for us to do. Lord, we we open our minds and our hearts to you this morning at Ferris Church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, perhaps one of the more difficult topics, I guess I probably want to get this thing ready to go. Oh. It's a good thing I got it ready to go. (laughs) Do I have any more advertising I could throw at you in the meantime? No, that's okay. That's all right. Um, Well, I'll go ahead and jump in here. One of the more difficult topics we could uh, discuss from our history as American citizens is, is maybe that of slavery, right? Do you recognize the date of September 22nd, 1862? Does that date mean anything to anybody? September 22, 1862, was the date during the Civil War in which President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. I saw some people over here say it along with me. This, of course, meant that on January 1st, 1863, each and every slave in the Confederacy was legally free. Important date in our nation's history. And think about it. Think about the difference this made and the difference of the way the information had to travel. This was a long time before the inventions of the social media tweet, right? No tweeting. A long time before cable news. Union soldiers would actually begin physically carrying hundreds of thousands of copies of, the, of this proclamation throughout the South, distributing them. It's incredible to think about the way information would have to travel It's such a different time, right? Imagine getting the news. Imagine hearing this that you're no longer at the mercy of a fellow human master. Wow, I, I can't imagine getting that news. One that might have separated you from your family, chained you down, starved you, beat you, forced you into hard plantation labor, subjected you to more of the worst conditions imaginable, treated you less than human, didn't even consider you to be human, Well, believe it or not, the news when it reached many of these slaves wasn't quite as immediately liberating as you might think. It's interesting to note, after Lincoln's proclamation issue, it would actually be another couple of years before, of course, the Civil War itself would end on American soil. Now, legal freedom had come to these people, but many of those first-generation slaves never left their plantations. After all of this, many of these folks never left the cruelty of their old masters. And of course, uh, the, their old masters were just fine with that. And we might ask today, we might think, why didn't these slaves embrace their new freedom in droves? But ignorance is a powerful force. It's true. It's true. Uh, Chuck Swindoll cites one Alabama slave when asked what he thought about the president and his Emancipation Proclamation afterwards. Actually responded with these words, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, except they say he set us free. And I don't know nothing about that neither. On January 2nd, 1863, you could have asked many a southern field worker, who's your master? And you could have seen their response. You could have seen uh, the proof in their lives of those legally freed men that they still considered themselves bound to those old masters. Maybe we have a hard time understanding this, understanding how these people could have remained, could have stayed ignorant on the plantation. But you know what's interesting? In continuing his thought process from the beginning of Romans chapter 6 on, we're going to pick up where we left off 2 weeks ago. Paul, the author here in Romans, makes it clear to us that in much the same way people remain ignorant in the church too, to the old ways, to the old life before Jesus, before freedom. Follow with me here in verse 15 if you've got it, uh, your Bibles open or I've got some of this text on the screen behind me. Paul says this, he says, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means? Now follow with me closely here. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, he goes on, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. This is a big verse here. 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're going to stop there this morning in the text. Well, show of hands, how many of you are familiar here with uh, 623, this last verse we've read together? Uh, if you've heard that or been uh, familiar with that a time or two in your life, obviously, obviously it doesn't take too many years uh, for many of us of being around Christianity uh, before we've maybe even committed this verse to memory, right? Romans 6.23. Would you say that out? Let's, uh, let's go through that again. Would you say that out loud with me? Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You might have learned that from another uh, translation years ago. There's power in this verse. There's a reason why we know it so well. It's the gospel, right? But I think while we truly, brothers and sisters, love the idea that God has a free gift for Christians called eternal life, I had this mindset for many years myself. I think while we love that, ooh, free gift, I'd like us to be honest this morning in considering the answer to this question. Who's your master? Who's your master? We talked about this two weeks ago uh, in our message on Romans 6 about baptism. We asked, are we living the baptized life? Are we fully in Are we doing the work of God, or are we doing the work of sin? Are we living in the ignorance of the world or in service to Jesus Christ? Well, Paul's continuing the thought process today. And if you're listening this morning, and you call yourself a Christ follower, and yet you're still somehow fooling around and doing things you know that you shouldn't, actively, maybe daily, God's Word has some bad news for you has some bad news for you. Uh, verse 19 says lawlessness leads to more lawlessness, doesn't it? Sin leads to more sin. Well, last, uh, two weeks ago, we, we talked about this some more. We called it uh, Houdini's jail cell, if you remember. Sin is a trap. So we can say we come uh, to God's house on Sunday, but where are we staying all week long? What are we doing? Whom are we following? Who's your master? One preacher says, if you're doing things that you know are not right, and while I'm preaching or after the sermon or maybe sometime this week, the Holy Spirit brings these things to your attention. Number one, uh, we we need to thank God that that voice is still in our ear, right? That's a good sign. That's a good thing. To echo the following complaint, the church has more often than not lost this voice. We lose out on this voice. In too many of our churches, we don't even talk about sin. We don't talk about morality, right and wrong, in the house of God. It's more what feels good. This guy concludes, brothers and sisters, if we don't talk about it, if we don't deal with sin, the world never will either. We have to talk about it. This may make us a little bit uncomfortable this morning, but we desperately need to know the answer to this question. Who's your master? We need to be convinced of that answer. Look again with me here. Verse 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, what now? Have become obedient. Have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. Paul doesn't give his audience any options on ridding ourselves of yesterday's chains, does he? He doesn't say you can keep doing what you've always been doing. The world says ignorance is bliss. What an ignorant thing to say. The Bible says ignorance is death. Verse 21, for the end of these things is death. So if we call ourselves Christians, if we say we follow Jesus... If we say we believe in God, we better get our hearts like David after God's own. I don't know the sins of your heart. I don't know what you deal with from week to week. I know the sins of my heart. But the Bible says on the day of judgment, when the God who made my heart takes a look at it himself, I know one thing. I don't want to be that slave to sin who shrugs his shoulders before the living God and says, I didn't know nothing about Jesus Christ, except everybody said he set me free, and I don't know nothing about that either. Are you a slave to disobedience or to Jesus Christ? Which is it? Which is it? Again, we we talked about this dabbling, this continued dabbling that we do, how sin is a trap. Romans 6, verse 11. If Christians don't consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, sin will dominate our lives. Verse 14. It's a guarantee. That's how it works. It's going to happen. And again, Paul continues the thought, the end of those things is death. See, there's a reason why so many freed slaves never left those old masters. There's a reason why they didn't go anywhere. There was a method to this madness. Sure, they were cruel, they were brutal, but those old shackles of slavery felt like home. It's what they knew. Ignorance on the old plantation wasn't bliss, but many a field worker was probably accustomed to it anyway, right? And this is exactly how the devil convinces so many of us, so many Christians to never grow in the Jesus that set us free from sin. This is how he does it. He tells us lie after lie about the comfortability or the convenience of the work that he actually has for us, but not about the end result, not about where it's headed. Goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Oh, you'll be like God. Wrong. One author writes, when we're slaves to sin, we throw ourselves deeper and deeper into it. It's just what we do. One lie leads to many lies, doesn't it? One drink leads to many drinks. One look at that pornographic video, one instance of embezzlement, and so on. Consider David. Consider King David. Do you think David intended to be a murderer? No. But one kind of sin with Bathsheba led to many other kinds of sin. Lust led to adultery, led to attempted cover-up, led to murder. So what does Paul encourage instead? What's the alternative? What's the other option if we're going to do one or the other? Paul says to be a slave to what? Righteousness. To throw ourselves more and more into righteousness towards the living God. And it's a process as serving the devil, as serving sin, leads to more sin. Serving righteousness leads to progressively greater holiness. Do we ever think of our faith that way, that it's a process? we consider our lack of faith works in very much the same way? We should. Do we take seriously these, what we like to think of as little sins in our lives, that they're not? verse 23, how does our master consider these sins? Some people live their Christian lives as prisoners of these old sins, of these old ways. You name an addiction, adultery, idolatry, but if we can't enjoy the free gift of eternal life in Jesus now, how in the world are we going to enjoy it for an eternity? As a slave to sin, only Jesus holds the keys to those chains. But we can't go back. Build our own cage. There's a man named Joe Taft who runs the exotic feline rescue center in Indiana. Joe Taft has a sanctuary for abandoned wild animals. It's actually the second largest in the nation. Think lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. That's the only Wizard of Oz quote for today, as far as I can remember. Around the turn of the century, uh, Joe was raising a young tiger in his own home. And this wild cub was uh, growing bigger each day, always in Joe's more than capable care and control. And that is until uh, Mr. Taft suffered a heart attack and underwent a uh, quintuple bypass surgery. It's a hard word to say, I I can't imagine going through it. This left a young tiger not the safest roommate for a cardiac patient. If Garrett were here, I'd ask him how he would feel about that. You know. At this point, Joe's own home became an incredibly threatening environment for this weakened Man, well, what was his solution? Joe Taft, and this really happened, had a steel fence built around his couch and living area. He proceeded to recover behind bars while the growing tiger roamed freely through the house, the tiger strutting and roaring and keeping Joe a literal prisoner in his own home. Sin's a lot like that. Sin's a lot like that, brothers and sisters. Paul makes it clear that we can't master sin. It grows. It gets bigger. It's going to trap us. Unless we've given it to God, it's going to master us. And we'll be watching it from inside a cage that we've built for ourselves. Just like poor Mr. Taft. Maybe we look at this text here and it runs counter to uh, the way we we naturally think or the way culture tells us to think. We look at this, we think about the question, who is my master? Maybe we've come to the conclusion that I don't want anybody to be my master. I mean, if I'm set free, right? I mean, after all, I'm an American. Nobody owns me. Why in the world would Paul want to go on to describe my relationship with God as master-slave anyway? And first of all, uh, just, just as a heads up, this scripture is this scripture's a couple days older than America. But we need to understand the history of slavery at this time, first century. It was a little more inclusive than a 21st century American understanding of slavery might be. We need to dig into the history a little bit. See, the Roman Empire, yes, was heavily dependent on forced labor, on slaves for hard labor. One commentator notes that many of Paul's Roman recipients here were probably slaves. Slaves would be taken from the nations that Rome conquered for their construction projects or to work in mines. And those Roman slaves were subject to a kind of cruelty, brutality, uh, just like the early American slaves, I'm sure. But there were also different kinds of slaves. There were these household slaves in nearly every Roman home. Their lives could actually be more cushy than cruel. Some houses had dozens or hundreds of slaves. Slaves in the home would assist the women in maintaining the homes, raising their children, Providing cheap, I didn't say free, but cheap labor for uh, the Roman businessmen. In many contexts, this kind of slavery was a limited arrangement. It was a way to pay off debt. Now certainly, this kind of domestic master-slave relationship was commonplace for the Romans. But it didn't begin there. We can go back uh, very early in the Bible. You remember uh, Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. Hagar, domestic slave. Yes, there were government enslaved Israelites uh, under Egypt, Exodus chapter 6. Not not such a good arrangement, right? But even those Levites that served in the temple, well, they could have been considered temple slaves. So we need to understand that the Bible nowhere condemns slavery as a practice. But it does offer some warnings about it. Uh, First chapter of Amos gives regulations for it. 25th chapter of Leviticus. Slavery wasn't just limited to the Old Testament. Paul advises slaves in Ephesians chapter six verse five, second chapter Titus, uh, the entire book of uh, Philemon. Is there still slavery in our culture today? Can we look around and see it? Well, let's face it. When Paul writes to the church in Galatians 3.28, we quote this a lot. We hear this quoted. You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's not saying master-slave arrangements might uh, no longer uh, or won't. uh, Try that again. Will no longer exist. After all, just consider the record trillion-dollar amount of credit card debt accumulated by modern Americans. That's slavery. But my point is, in our text, Paul wasn't comparing the harsh realities of a brutal forced labor situation to a relationship with God in Christ Jesus. We need to understand this. Rather, in the 6th chapter Romans, he was likely considering for us uh, what one commentator calls, quote, arranged freedom for Roman slaves. In the Roman culture, the Romans actually believed that ownership of an individual could be transferred to a god, any of them. It's interesting how Paul uses this. So then the slave, in Roman culture, if transferred to a god, could then receive his freedom in return for contracting that god's services. The slave could continue with his master, but now as a free man. And, and Paul is probably putting all these pieces together culturally about slavery. When he writes to these Roman Christians and he says, you have been set free from sin. You've become, you've become slaves of God, the one true God. See, there's a little bit more to slavery here from a historical standpoint than what we understand today. So today when we read this, let's understand that in God, in the one true God, we are absolutely free. We've been set free. It's the only way to truly be free. The 20th century philosopher uh, Robert Zimmerman, known to most of us as Bob Dylan, put it this way. You're still going to have to serve somebody. That's all I'm going to do this week of that. But do we find it difficult to answer the question, who's your master? We try to divide up hours of the week. Maybe that's the way uh, many of us go about it. It's easy to want to section off our time, right? This is God's time. This is my time, so forth. Maybe you've got some in-laws or something and you say, okay, I got 20 minutes here. I love my in-laws. It's just, you know, in-laws is an easy target for a quick joke. (laughs) But maybe we need to quit using so many of these time clocks that we have all all surrounding us, right, in our culture. Maybe they're a bad thing, because when we answer to the Lord Jesus, it's a round-the-clock service, isn't it? It's a round-the-clock thing. No less than uh, William Barclay wrote, the status of the slave in Paul's time meant the slave had no time which belonged to himself wasn't, okay, okay, God, my two hours on Sunday morning are done. It's my time now. I'm going to do what I want. Barclay continues, the slave had no moment when he was free. Every single moment of the slave's time belonged to his master. Belonged to them. He was absolutely the exclusive possession of the master. There was no one single moment of his life when he could do it as as he liked. And this is how it is impossible, as Jesus said, for a slave to serve two masters. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So how do we do this day in, day out? How do we serve somebody constantly? How do we continue to present members as slaves to righteousness? Remember we began that discussion two weeks ago that each one of us needs to take an honest inventory in the faith of those things we can do. Those things we can do with our minds, with our hands, with our feet that can glorify God. Remember, uh, those of you who are here for that message, we talk through the idea that we have to start walking the Christian walk. It has to start there. It has to start uh, with those waters of baptism. Then we have to be faithful in that baptism, because that's only the beginning, until the Lord returns for us. Well, in addition, it's imperative that we understand this morning that at this point in the Christian walk, our members, as Paul's refers to them, are no longer our own. They're no longer uh, belonging to us as free slaves in Christ Jesus. These minds, hands, and feet don't get used for anything that doesn't glorify God. Yeah, it's difficult. It's also our calling. Maybe this week we can be honest with ourselves. Think about this. How does this work day in and day out in my life? Are there some parts maybe I've been keeping back, putting away for myself? When you leave worship, which way are your feet pointing on the way out the door? Let me explain what I mean by that. One author references uh, Jennifer Jarrett of uh, Massachusetts who asked her two-year-old daughter Catherine, where are my slippers? Downstairs in the kitchen, Catherine replied. What are they doing there, her mom asked. Nothing, the daughter replied. They can't walk because they don't have feet in them right now. Sounds exactly like something a certain little kid I know might say. That's why I put it in there. I can hear her saying it when I won't say who. Catherine's right on the money when it comes to using your feet for your master. You have absolutely no way of going where God wants you to go without him. You have absolutely no way of doing what God wants you to do unless you're doing it his way. You have no chance of being the servant God intends for you to be unless he's calling the shots, unless you realize your feet are his feet. Sometimes we use this expression in contemporary Christianity, right? I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We hear that sometimes. Sometimes. That lifts us up maybe in a song on the radio when it comes through our wireless Bluetooth speakers. But truly think about what it looks like, what it feels like, what it's going to be like in your life to truly be those hands and feet of your master, Jesus. Unlike what some preachers might tell you, it may not mean standing tall and proud on the side that's culturally and commercially and politically convenient and correct in the United States of America today. Instead, it means hanging on a cross with nails driven through. That's where my hands, my feet are headed if I'm following Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what's best for me in service to Jesus. I know this. Who's your master? Who do people see when they look at you? Is it sin or is it the Savior? Who's your God? My dad said one time, I can tell you who your God is. It's who do you turn in your time of need? Who do you turn in your time of need? Is it whiskey? Is it a pill? Is it uh, adult video? Sin or the Savior? Just a few days, we're going to drop uh, uh, literally a big ball at midnight in front of a million people in Times Square, New York, on New Year's Eve, uh, 2019, 2019. Has anybody uh, been there? Anybody ever been to New York and seen that at Times, Times Square? It's incredible. Significant day. Significant because first off, on January first, each and every person, no matter no matter the state, no matter our health or condition, that we're finally gonna have 2020 vision. I couldn't help myself, it was too terrible not to say. Statistics say that 60% of us will make New Year's resolutions on or around the date of January first. 60%. Resolutions. Statistics also say that only 25% of us will actually stay committed to those resolutions after making them, and only 8% will actually be successful in achieving them. But the problem with making New Year's resolutions, often we find, we've talked about this before, is resolutions are typically all about us. They're typically all about what we think we can accomplish, but that's not Bible, Bible, in contrast, is all about Master Jesus, Master Jesus Christ, and what He is accomplishing through us. When Paul uh, talks to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. But you have to be in Christ. What do new, obedient slaves to Jesus Christ look like, considering the end result, where we're going to end up? It's a good thing the Bible gives us some uh, tangible advice on this. As we wrap up the study of the master-slave relationship with Jesus Christ, I do know a few things we can look at. Turn to uh, Acts 2 with me. If you would, get your Bibles out. I don't have this on the screen. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There are four big things here, biblically speaking, that Christians are called to continue because it's what Christ continues. It's where Christ is working. God's word says this about the church. Again, this is after the repent and be baptized part in Acts 2.38, and we get up to this. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'm not talking about the plan of salvation here. I'm not uh, even talking about our mission to the world. But if you've fallen back into some of your old ways, if you've fallen into a season of impurity and lawlessness, you need to get back to Master Jesus, and this is a fantastic first century way in which you can do that. Master Jesus works through our time in the Word, time with other Christians, time at the communion table, time with the Father. This is good enough for the early Church of Christ and I believe it's good enough for this church of Christ. These four things we must continue in. Call yourself a Christian, remain faithful, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, verse 17, to which we were uh, committed. It's imperative that we spend our time this way. Whatever ball that we might drop uh, come New Year's and beyond, let's not let go of this one. It's a big one. Verse 18, again, back to our text this morning, says, Having been set free from sin, we've become slaves of righteousness. And while I was trying to think of an appropriate illustration to sum this message up, specifically this verse, uh, the following dawned on me. A much better speaker than myself, I know this uh, to be true, said the exact same thing to another group of God's people in Scripture. And you know what? He was even a Joshua, uh, Could you turn with me again to another place in your Bibles? Joshua, chapter 24, verse 14. I'd like to close with this this morning. A little bit of context for this. In this text, Joshua is giving his final address to Israel. And he's reminding them that the people of God aren't ever going to choose between serving God and having personal freedom. Those are not the two options. Our choice is always going to be between serving one true God and serving all the other gods before us. And we've got a whole world of them. read this text along with me, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I challenge you in all that you do, you and your house. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. There are so many other gods. There are so many other things that are vying for that spot in your life, that place in your heart. Serve the Lord. And I've borrowed this following challenge because I think it's a good one as we're asking ourselves this morning, not just whom we serve, but how we're going to serve Him better. How are we going to do this? Not just because it's a new year, but because he's made us new creations. Will you make a choice this week, brothers and sisters, not to walk in the deadness of sin, to walk in the gift that God has given you, to walk in everlasting life in Jesus Christ our Lord, to serve the Lord, to follow God's call once made to the Israelites, God's call once made to the Romans, God's call today to to the folks at Ferris Church of Christ. To say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the challenge in all that you do. Will it be the devil, or will it be the Lord at your call? Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes or continue to open our eyes to the reality that Lord, we truly are in service to someone. Lord, I pray that you would touch our lives in a way that we would remember. You've not called us to be lukewarm. You've not called us to be passive. Lord, it's so easy for us to just get settled into the world and Do what culture tells us. And in the name of of Jesus, just, just be mediocre. Lord, when we look at your church and we look at the way you work, we see that's not what you have planned for our lives. We look at the growth of the church in your word. We look at what the church was doing. And we see it was you at work. We see it was you at work in those prayers. Oh Lord, how we need prayer. How we need to grow in prayer as people of prayer. How we need to listen to you. Lord, I pray that you would work in us. Speak to us. Help us to be people that want to hear from you. Help us to be people that will not give up meeting together. Help us to be people that the first day of the week come and share in communion. Help us to remember that, Lord, we're not doing these things because we have to keep a checklist for our salvation, but because we need you to work through us. God, I pray that we would be slaves of righteousness in all that we do. God, we know it's so easy for us to just go through motions. Get out anything in our lives that's keeping us from a closer walk with you as we sang earlier. I pray, Lord, that you would convict us. I pray that you would speak to us pray that you would work in us. That we would be those uh, witnesses to the world that would look at us and say, something's different. Something's different. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives and we we don't deserve it, Lord. And we know even in some of our uh, weakest moments where we struggle with doubt, we struggle with things that draw our attention away from you, you still love us. And you still desire that in all our ways, we would be repentant. Draw us close to you. Help keep us safely there. It is in that holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things for each and every one of us here. Amen. As we sang before, decision, it starts here, starts in these waters of baptism. That's just the beginning. I might say that every Sunday morning, uh, as long as I minister, uh, because I think we need to hear it. We need to hear it. that It begins here, but that's just the beginning. If you have a decision that you need to make this morning, ways that you need to turn over, or if you've not yet begun that walk with Jesus. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this invitation song. Lord, I give you my heart. And I can't think of a better uh, note for us to end on. This week, please challenge yourself. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart, to reveal to you. What do I need to give up? What do I need to get out of my life? What, Lord, have I held back from you? Lord, I give you my heart. Would you stand and let's sing?